we're in a series called Compartmentalized Life. Where do I allow God to start and stop in my life? Because I think everybody to a degree uh, compartmentalizes, or another way to say it, separates our lives. You know, uh, whether it's I separate my food. So yesterday I had like, you know, my chick, my turkey was like barricading the, the, the salad because I did not want the gravy on the salad, right? I compartmentalized my food. Uh, we can say, you know, my work life, my home life, my church life. We can compartmentalize uh, even our friends, right? Or maybe even our closet. This is my work stuff. This is my other stuff. But I think uh, we can all compartmentalize or separate our lives. And when it comes to God, I think we can, in certain areas, compartmentalize or separate our lives from God. As Christ followers, we can separate our lives. And not consciously, but maybe sometimes consciously, but sometimes as well, subconsciously, we can compartmentalize our life. Like, God, you can have this part of my life, but don't look in the closet over here, right? So like when you have friends come over or something and you're like, oh, we're just going to drop by. It's like, okay, put everything, put it all in the room, right? Clean up. We don't have time. Just put it in the room. Close the door, right? Okay, don't drop by my house apparently. No, just kidding. Okay, but, or, or it's like, okay, God, you can have my Sunday, like, and you, you sing the 90s song. I give you my heart, give my soul, right? And then Monday, it's like, okay, God, I got, I'm, I'm going to do it myself, and, you, and, and it's like, okay, I got this, right? Um, or God, I don't think that you can use this part of my life. And even our thoughts can compartmentalize our life and say, God, I don't think you can use this part of my life. And that's actually the first week, that's what we talked about, is how that um, sometimes our thoughts or perceptions that aren't in line with God's word can actually compartmentalize our life. Of thinking, okay, this is what God means. And I gave the example of at one time I thought, you know what, in order to be walking in faith, I needed to have everything together. So it wasn't in faith when I came to God and said, God, I just need you. And so I compartmentalized maybe some struggles or some hurt that I was going through. And I was like, okay, don't look over there, God, but you can have everything else. But that's actually not what God says. It says, come boldly to the throne of grace in our time of need. But our thoughts or perceptions can compartmentalize our life. Uh, the last week, we talked about the take back, the take back, which is worry, right? Where we can even pray, give an issue to God, and then we do the take back of where worry comes in and actually takes it back and provides that false sense of control. It's like you still got it, but nothing's going nothing's gonna to change by thinking about it, worrying about it. And so we talked about how do you break those down? So we talked about how you renew your mind. And then last week we talked about how do you break down those and break down and stop that take back. Or in the midst of the take back where you realize, I just took that care back about giving it back to God and leaving with him. If you, if you didn't miss it last week, you can catch it online at thrivecalgary.ca. Uh, check out the message there. But uh, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 11, it says this. It says, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking to you as plainly uh, as I can with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. 
That's Paul speaking to the, the Corinth church, and I believe it's speaking to us too of that. We can compartmentalize our life, live life smaller than God has intended for us, but God really has a wide open, spacious, free life for us that we can thrive. So this week, we're going to be talking about where are you? Where are you? If the title of my message is, where are you? Now, maybe as a kid or maybe with your kids, have you ever played hide-and-go-seek? Did you ever play that? Yeah, I just played that like, I don't know, like yesterday with my son playing hide-and-go-seek. It's good. I'm actually really good when I play against Levi. It's great. It helps when your opponent is one and a half. But, um, but uh, have, if you ever play hide-and-go-seek, uh, and, and I play it all the time, and you count, and, and when I'm looking for Levi, I'm like, where are you? Right? And I'll make sounds, and it's, I love it. It's a, it's a ton of fun. But I think maybe hide-and-go-seek is maybe one of the oldest games in history. I think hide-and-go-seek might be one of the oldest games in history, but when it started out, it wasn't really a game or fun that motivated this hide-and-go-seek to start. I think it's actually a, a component that can cause a compartmentalized life uh, in my life, in your life, in people's life, and, and it's this is the first ever hide-and-go-seek that caused it to go was not fun, was not anything like that, but it was actually this. It was, it was shame. Shame actually caused the first hide-and-go-seek. Uh, it all starts in the garden. God created the earth, everything in it. Uh, he said, man, this is good, right? He steps back. If you've ever done that from a project, you're like, this is good. But then he's like, you know what? I want to make this very good. So then he makes a man, he makes woman, and then he steps back after he, he makes mankind, and he says, this is very good. So this, like, if you're ever feeling down, or you're like, man, I'm having a bad day, just remind yourself that God actually said, like, okay, creation was good, and then he created, created mankind, and then he says, very good. So you can look in the mirror, and you can be like, very good, <laughs> right? But, but it, it, he made Adam, he made Eve, he made all creation. He said, hey, this is very good. This is very good. And he said, hey, rule over this garden. You know, um, be fruitful, be, uh, multiply, uh, take care of this garden. You can eat everything you want except for this one tree, except for this tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that one. That's not too hard, but it's also like maybe a, but, a the red button right on the table. Don't press that red button. You can press any button you want, but not this big red one. But so Adam and Eve, they're, they're going about their time. They're, they're living life. You could say they're thriving in the garden. Whoa. Um, like they're having a good time. Like they're, I, I, I'm sure, I love pomegranates. I had a salad yesterday with some pomegranates in it. I'm sure they're eating some really massive, really good pomegranates. Like they're just like living life. It's good. You know, they're just, you know, doing their stuff. They're being human. They're like, they're doing good. They're naming animals. Things are good. And then one day, um, they're walking, and a snake comes up to them and starts talking. First, if, I, if that was me, I'd be like, whoa, I'm walking the other way because a snake's talking to me. That's abnormal. Uh, this is weird. But this snake talks to, uh, talks to them, and it goes this way. The serpent, serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals uh, the Lord had made. One day, he asked the woman, the snake, uh, did God really say you must not eat uh, the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? 
Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that uh, we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Then the serpent says, you won't die. Uh, The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious. Um, And she uh, wanted the wisdom uh, it would give her. So she took some of it, some of the fruit, ate it, and then she gave it to her husband who was with her. I want to point out he was with her. Don't hate on Eve all by himself. Like Adam was with her. Come on. Uh, And he ate it too. So they did the exact opposite that God told them to do. It's like, okay, don't press this button, which this button, right? They did the exact opposite that God told them to do. They ate the fruit, and uh, they ate the fruit, and right then their eyes were opened, and they experienced something. Sin entered the world. Disobeying God, sin entered the world, and they experienced something that they had never experienced before. They experienced something that they had never, ever experienced before, and that was this. It was shame, They experienced something they had never, and that was shame. It goes on in Genesis 3-7, it says this, At the moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So, uh, So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They felt shame at their nakedness, shame at the disobedience of God, and they felt like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do something. They, they disobeyed, they, they sinned, and they felt shame, and shame caused them to do something. It caused them to cover up, to hide what was before what wasn't. It caused them to hide what they were ashamed of. Uh, and then it goes on in Genesis 8, uh, 3, 8, it says, uh, when the cool evening breeze were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord, uh, Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees, and the Lord called out to the man, Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? In the midst of the garden, Adam and Eve, they missed the mark, and they felt shame. And that shame caused them to cover up. But not only that, their shame also caused them to hide from God. It actually caused them to hide from God. It tried to isolate, and it, and it did it, caused them to hide and isolate themselves from God. Where God actually went out and called, where are you? I don't think it was actually a, an angry cry, but like, where are you? And it caused shame, caused them to hide. Uh, in verse 10 it says, he replied, I heard you walk in the garden, so I hid, because I, uh, I was afraid because I was naked. I find it interesting that God actually sought them out in the midst of feeling them feeling shame. But shame actually caused them to hide and to cover themselves from God. That, that God actually, in the midst of the garden, was actually looking for them in the midst of the shame. Shame caused Adam and Eve to create a cover and hide from God, to compartmentalize themselves from them, from God, and from certain areas of hiding. I think shame causes us to compartmentalize our life. Of like, God, 
don't look over here or no, don't touch here because I'm ashamed or I feel shame. Or maybe even shame at times can cause us to entirely just like, okay, God, I'm not here. Like I'm behind this tree. I know you can see, but I'm not here, right? You know, maybe shame of what we did, what we didn't do, what we said, uh, maybe where you came from. Or maybe it's like you're, you can, at times I think we can feel shame of how things worked out or didn't work out. And that can cause shame. And shame can cause us to make sort of like just what Adam and Eve, fig leaf covers, right? Attempts to cover, covering what we're ashamed of, hiding from God. You know, maybe, it's, maybe you've been hurt and you felt, and that's brought you feeling, makes you feel ashamed that that person hurt you that way or that that happened to you. And then the fig leaf that maybe we could use is humor that could cover up that hurt from God. Or maybe it's actually anger and aggression towards people, covering that, what, the area we feel shame. Or maybe things didn't work as you thought they would in a business venture or maybe in a relationship. So you cover up that fig leaf, you use a fig leaf cover of maybe it's uh, ambivalence. You're like, it doesn't matter. It's all good. I don't care. And, and you use that and it can cover, uh, try to attempt to cover that area where you feel, feel ashamed. You know, maybe there's a bad decision that caused hurt around you. You can cause a, a, a fig leaf cover or maybe a bad habit or addiction that you can't, can't break. And you create a fig leaf to cover that, to cover what you feel shame about. You know, uh, people can, I think, feel shame about many things. And shame can cause that fig leaf of covering from God, God don't look, as well as cause us to actually hide from God. In the very areas I think of many times that God actually wants to bring his life, his light, his healing, and his freedom into that area of life. You know, John 10.10 10 says this. It says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. You know, shame is not from God. Shame is not a tool that God uses God will not cause you, will not make you shame. Uh, you know, I believe it's actually the enemy who uses shame as a tool to cause you to compartmentalize or separate areas of your life from God. That because you feel ashamed or you feel like, oh, I missed it there or it didn't work out. And so then shame comes in and says, oh, hide this. And it lies. Shame lies to you and says, you know what, you, maybe you don't have value. Or your identity is in that mistake you made. Or what you did was so bad, or you missed it so much, or this situation went so bad, there's no fixing it. So you might as well just hide it, live with it, put as good of a cover on it as you can, but leave that separate from God. I believe shame lies and says, know what, you have no value to God, no value to others. And I believe shame is a tool from the enemy to try and get you to separate yourselves, separate your lives, and areas of your heart from God. Shame is not from God. It is from the enemy who tries to compartmentalize and cut off areas of your life. To cut off areas from his healing, from his grace, from his mercy, from the life of God. Trying to keep that area of life separate from really thriving 
for you, like if you were to have a plant in your yard, I think shame tries to do is like tries to cut off a branch and say, keep that separate from the vine. Keep that separate from the life-giving. And that area then is, doesn't have the life-giving power um, of God. But, you know, Jesus didn't come to this earth to condemn the world. In uh, John 3.16, if you've watched any baseball, you've seen that scripture. Or if you, you've heard it maybe uh, 10,000 times, but it says, For this is how much God loved the world, that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world. This is verse 17, right after one of the most famous verses. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world or condemn the world, another translation says, but to save the world through him. Today, Jesus is not condemning you. He is not trying to beat you up because of mistakes, because of things that maybe didn't go wrong. You know what? Today, Jesus actually came to this earth so that you could have freedom and liberty in him, so that you could have a life, a fulfilling whole life in every single area. You know, God didn't come for perfect people. God did not come for perfect people. You know, everybody has made mistakes. There's not one perfect person except for Jesus. There's only one perfect, and it is Jesus. And he is not coming to beat you up, to condemn you, but he wants to come to bring healing and to bring restoration. You know, there's another account in the Bible of a woman who had felt shame, but then encountered Jesus. She had an illness that uh, caused her to continually bleed for 12 years. Um, that, so it was like she was on her period for 12 years, continually bleeding, this massive illness, and she spent all her money she could to try and get doctors to fix it. But the Bible says that it actually got worse. It didn't work. She did everything she could, and it was getting actually worse. And, and it, it would have been having a horrible issue to deal with for for 12 years straight, trying to handle that. And not only that, but according to Levitical law, which is what uh, the, the Jewish people would have lived to, um, at that time of month, if a woman had that, it, they were actually ceremonially unclean, which meant this. Anything they touched, anybody else they touched, uh, according to the law, was unclean. So they had to separate themselves for uh, that whole period. So this woman would have been separated for 12 years. She would have had to been separated for 12 years. And that, I think, would have caused some, some shame of, I spent all my money, and this issue's still here. I'm still unclean. And then as well is that, you know, she couldn't be around anybody else because everybody saw her as unclean. And judging, and if she actually came near near her, there'd be like death consequences because she was making people unclean. And so for 12 years, this lady was dealing with this. She was walking around, feeling, I can see her feeling shame, feeling because of society, because of everything, the struggles dealing with it, trying to do everything, and nothing's working. And even worse is that, according to the law, everywhere she would go, whenever she would go, if there were people around, she'd have to do this. She'd have to shout, unclean, unclean. She would have to go and shout unclean. So no other person would be ceremoniously un made unclean by her. 
So she's going in front. Not only is that, but this issue that she's dealing with is constantly in front of her. It is literally isolating her from people. And what weight, what a life for this lady for 12 years of just isolation, feeling that society isn't accepting her, that her community isn't, her faith community isn't. So everywhere she would go, she would have to do that. Now this lady heard of a man named Jesus coming to town. And she heard about that he had done miracles in people's bodies. And she thought, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, that then I will be healed. But there was a, there was a risk to this. Because if, if she was found that she was unclean going in there, there would be like life and death consequences for this lady. So what she would have had to do is she would have had to hide everything, hide what, what the issues that were going on, the illness that was going on, what she even felt shame about. She would have had to hide all of that and go in there constantly knowing that someone around her could find out and that she could actually be killed. So it's like, it's extreme. And so she's going through this crowd, going through this crowd, and then she sees him. She sees him up there. Now, she hasn't been around people for 12 years. So she then starts, there's a massive crowd. She starts pushing through, moving people, knowing that technically, according to that Levitical law, everything she's touching, according to that law, is unclean, but she's pushing, she's pushing, trying, and she sees the hem of his garment. She sees the hem of it, she sees him, but she doesn't want him to see her. Because she's been dealing with this issue. According to the law, she is unclean. This is not good. I'm hiding this from you. I just want to just touch and be healed. So she's pushing through. And this is where we pick it up. In Mark 5, she had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowds and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed from this terrible condition. So she pushed through the crowd, pushed through the shame, and she reached, grabbed the hem of his garment and was healed. And then, but that's not where the story stops. Something actually powerful happens right after here. In Mark 5.30, it says this, Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched me? Who touched me? I think, really, it could also be said, where are you? Where are you? Just as in the garden, when in the midst of Adam and Eve's shame, where God said, where are you? Where are you? Why did Jesus do this? Like, the lady was healed. The issue was taken care of. And that Actually, if she tells everybody, everybody would know that she was ceremoniously unclean. Why did she do this? He healed her body. But I don't think he healed the root cause of that shame in her life. And that right here and there, Jesus was about to bring healing and wholeness to, the, to all of her. Not just physically, but to bring healing and wholeness and speak into the area of shame. It, in verse 31, it says, his disciples said to him, look at at this crowd passing around you. How can you ask, who touched me? Right? How can you ask, who touched me? It's like going through the saddle dome after a Flames game. You don't know. It's packed. 
But he kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came, fell down to her knees in front of him, and told him what she had done. What a risk. Because she, by that, was admitting she was unclean before. That she had been with everybody when she was not supposed to. But instead, she fell down at the feet of Jesus and said, this is where I am. And she said, this is the shame that I'm dealing with. The woman touched his hem of his garment, was healed physically, but, not, but now fully encountering Jesus, fully encountering him. God in flesh. And I can see Jesus looking at into her eyes and seeing the fear in her eyes of like, what if he says, you're unclean, you're unclean, but instead she didn't see judgment in his eyes. She saw mercy. She saw love. She saw acceptance. And what she saw forgiveness. This is what Jesus said. Jesus speaks to, I believe, her, but also to the shame she felt. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is now over. I think he spoke to her, not just to her physical, but as well to the shame that she had been carrying for 12 years. That shame that she, the exile from the community, from her friends, from her family. And in that, in encountering Jesus, the woman experienced healing and full restoration. Jesus brought healing to the issue, but also she received healing from him. Love, grace in the midst of it, in the midst of shame. I think in the midst of when we feel like, God, I messed up. God, you don't know what to do. Shame can try and get us to compartmentalize, say, don't look at this area. But I think just like that woman with the issue of blood, in the midst of it all, if we just come to him, we will not find wrath. We will not find condemnation. We will find mercy and grace in our time of need. That when we just come to him, say, God, I don't know. This is happening. I screwed up or it didn't turn out and I just feel so ashamed. You will not find condemnation. You will find love, mercy, and he will restore you. He will bring healing to you in Jesus' name. We have the opportunity, I believe, just like that, that lady, in the midst of what we feel ashamed of, in the midst of missing it, in the midst of, oh, I screwed up. In the midst of that, say, God, I'm coming to you. And you'll find grace, healing, restoration. And you will bring freedom that you'll be able to go in peace and your suffering will be over. You know, we all make mistakes. We all mess up. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. That's why Jesus came. In Luke 10, 19, it says this, or 19, 10, it says this. For the Son of Man came to seek where are you? And save those who are lost. 
Jesus came for lost people, for hurting people, for people who don't have it all together. And know what? That's you and I. We all don't have it all together. I know, at least for me, maybe you feel you do. But for me, I don't have it all together. And it's good to know he came for me. And that sometimes in the midst of of shame that we can feel, he's saying, where are you? Why not to condemn you, but to bring healing, restoration, grace, and mercy? Where are you? Hebrews 4, again, it says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace in our time of need. And we will find grace and mercy. Today, we have the opportunity to come boldly to God in our times of need. In the midst of our mistakes, in the midst of weakness, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of addictions, in the midst of bad decisions that that just have resulted in just a ton of just junk. In the midst of that, we can come to him. And when you do, you will find mercy, grace, his empowerment. God will empower you, bring healing, bring restoration, so that when you leave from him, that you'll be able to go in wholeness and in peace. In Jesus' name. God will not punish you because the punishment has already been taken out on Jesus on the cross. The Bible says he, is now, he was your holy propitiation. In other words, he was your holy substitute. So any mistakes that we make, it's already been put on Jesus. So now we can just come to him and receive his mercy and his grace. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? You know, today, if you feel there's an area where you feel ashamed or shame, know that Jesus is calling out to you today. He's saying, where are you? Where are you? And that shame that you're feeling is not from God. It's from the enemy trying to separate, cut off those areas of your life or fully hide, cause you to hide from God. But Jesus, he's saying with mercy, with love, compassion in his eyes, in his hands, he's just saying this, where are you? Where are you? Because he wants to bring healing. He wants to bring restoration. He wants to bring wholeness. He's not here to condemn you, but to bring freedom and mercy so that you can have that life that Jesus talks about. Would you just close your eyes for a moment of privacy for those around you? If you're here today and you feel ashamed in an area or something's happened, you feel shame. Know that God is not causing that. He doesn't want you to be shameful, but he wants you to operate in his freedom, his restoration. Today, he's saying to you, where are you? Where are you? He's saying that with love, healing, wholeness in his eyes. Right now, it's just an opportunity between, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands or anything. But right now, just in your heart, if you have something that you feel ashamed of or is causing shame, right now, you can just respond right now in your heart where Jesus is saying, 
where are you? And say, Jesus, I'm here. I'm here. If you're right now here, just say that in your heart. God, I'm here. I'm here. Father, we thank you that you love us so much. That, that, you, that Jesus, you didn't come to this earth to condemn, to beat us up. But you've come so that we can have relationship with you. To live a full, free, wide open, spacious life. Not limited or cut off from you by shame. Or from things that we're ashamed about. And Father, this morning we respond to your, where are you? To God, we're here. Father, I thank you that right now you're bringing healing to hearts. You're bringing freedom to hearts. In Jesus' name, I thank you that you are bringing Father, even for where there are areas where people have been carrying shame for years, for years. Father, I thank you that right now, just casting that onto you, and that you're bringing healing, bringing freedom, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.